love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hello everyone, Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities. When we last left you on the Box of Oddities, uh, we were thinking about going down and looking at a new puppy. Well, not a puppy, but we call all dogs puppies. (laughs) It's a 10-year-old stray adoption dog. Calling dogs puppies has really caused some confusion in yeah. our lives, and yet we continue to do it. You can't teach an old dog or puppy new tricks. <laughs> so, yeah, we went down to the Kennebec Valley Humane Society and we met a dog they were calling Magoo. And what are you drinking? Excuse me, pardon me. Um, it's a Mason's hipster, hipster apocalypse. Ah, uh, yes. I guess long story short is we we have a new dog, yeah. <laughs> um, and they did they named him Mr. Magoo, but he was uh, he was a stray, so that he's not used to that name. No, it's not going to be traumatic that we're changing his name, right? So we wanted to come up with a, a name that really kind of described him, and uh, we settled on um, Haggis. Yes, full name. Full name. Count Haggis Flarf McBoatface of the Winchester McBoatfaces. Yeah, I wanted to name him Bodie McBoatface, but you would have none of it. So, well, Which we, is 100% a lie. We, like, I don't know why he's going with this train. Th- like, I was on board for Bodie McBoatface. We just, neither of us liked the idea of calling him Bodie. Haggis is much better. So, yeah, we have, we have a little pup. He's in here in the studio with us uh, for the very first time. We're not sure how he will react. He's pretty chill. He's pretty mellow. He and Banjo are curled up together right underneath the uh, recording console. It is hurting my heart a little bit. Um, <laughs> I am going to throw up. Um, he, Yeah. So he, like we said, he's 10. He was found as a stray, but he's like 12 pounds. So he couldn't have been a stray for long. But he had like tapeworm and Lyme disease and, and a skin stones. infection and kidney stones and yeah. an ulcer in his eye. And yeah, he so just... we're like, he's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> And he's uh, he's sleeping comfortably at our feet right now. He's so sweet. Thank you so much to everyone who reached out about him. Um, you know, so many of you mm-hmm. know of our journey over the last couple of months and, and the what yeah. we've been through. And he's doing a lot of healing, I have to say. Yeah. And Banjo loves him. Yeah. 
they're they're getting along famously. All right, my story today. Oh, I thought we were going to talk about opinions. Yes, I'm getting to that. Oh, okay. This has to do with opinions. Okay, because you shushed me earlier, and then you said, we're going to talk about this later, and uh-huh. I didn't realize it was going to have to do with your topic. Yes, in a roundabout way. Okay. Okay. The Cherry Sisters. Have you ever heard of the Cherry Sisters? No, I don't think so. They were called the worst performers in history <laughs> by some, <laughs> lacking in any type of talent by others, but... They played to packed houses on the vaudeville circuit for years. Amazing. And were also responsible for changing a law that still remains important to this day. Okay. Ripley's Believe It or Not did an article uh, on it. They described the Cherry Sisters this way. A touring vaudeville act in the late 1800s and early 1900s. They sang, danced, played instruments, recited poems and essays in over-the-top dramatic performances. (laughs) And they drew audiences who came to witness their obvious lack of talent. The American Weekly wrote, quote, They began as the four worst professional actresses in the world and ended without improving one iota. Oh, there were four of them. Well, five originally. Okay. Like the Marx Brothers. According to Daryl W. Bullock, he's the author of The Infamous Cherry Sisters, The Worst Act in Vaudeville. He said, the thing is, people packed the theaters to go and see them. So it, doesn't that mean they were a success? They were a success. They, they performed for years. It was almost part of the entertainment for the night to go and see how diabolically awful these girls would be. I love it. But as bad as they may have been, they unintentionally left behind an important legacy. After they sued two Iowa newspapers for libel, in the late 1800s, for uh, scathing reviews. That resulted in a court decision that set a precedent for media law to this day. In other words, opinion reviews. Aha. So here's their story. Addie, Effie, Ella, Lizzie, and Jesse Cherry. I can't stop picturing the Finger Lake sisters. (laughs) 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 Wait, what was her name? Uh... And I'm Junice. <laughs> there was no Junice. It was Addie, Effie, Ellie, Lizzie, and Jesse Cherry. They lived in Marion, Iowa with their parents in 1872. By the time that uh, Jesse, the youngest, uh, was 17 years old, both of their parents had died. Mm-hmm. And uh, their brother Nathan ran away from home. So it was just the five sisters living alone on this farm. Okay. The story is that they wanted to make enough money to pay off the mortgage for the farm. There were other stories about how they wanted to uh, make money in order to go to Chicago to attend the World's Columbian Exposition. I want to go to Chicago. But it was Effie's idea to put together an act and take it to the stage. Um, In 1893, the women, according once again to Bullock's biography, decided to perform at uh, the Daniels Opera House, which was a local opera house in their town. All five of them at the same time. This was a way to quickly make some money. Now, they had some experience in school and church productions, Mm -hmm. but nothing professional. So they made their own posters and they put them up all over town. And people came out to see them. The very first show, it started with Effie singing a song. And then they all sang a song. And then they all danced. 
And they played musical instruments. So it was like a little variety show. Yeah. Kind of like a, a Brady Bunch type situation. Yeah, kind of like that. Yes. And because their first audience was made up of mostly friends mm-hmm. and neighbors, they all politely applauded for them as not to insult them. Effie, you're so good. Uh, the sisters thought that they were simply marvelous because of that. Oh. Um, and they made a hundred bucks. In ticket sales. Wow. So they decided that they were destined for stardom. I love it. So they went ahead and booked another performance. This one at a larger theater in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, starring only four of the five sisters this time. Now, this engagement didn't go quite as well. Mm-hmm. The audience wasn't as polite as the first audience because was, they were all strangers. Sure. And because they didn't have all five, I'm sure. Well, yeah. maybe Missing that, the one made a huge difference. The special sauce yeah. of all five of them. Right. The first audience politely applauded and cheered for them. The second audience blew tin horns and pelted them with garbage. No. The, no. <laughs> no. The Cedar Rapids Gazette wrote, quote, their knowledge of the stage is worse than none at all, and they surely could not realize last night that they were making such fools of themselves. See, people talk about how, you know, culture this day with cancel culture and all this business, like like we're an unreasonably mean culture, and uh-huh. that's not true. We've always been shitbags. <laughs> yeah. This is proof of it. <laughs> yeah. You don't throw garbage at little girls who are trying to make money. <laughs> well, they weren't little girls. They were adult women, but yeah. Your point I mean, stands. you said the youngest one was 17. Okay, So yes. they were young women. She was, yes, she was a young woman. But uh, the oldest one was 50. Oh, geez, Louise, yeah. they're spread out. They were. Way to go, Dad. <laughs> so when that review came out, the sisters were furious. Of course. And they demanded a retraction. And again, according to Bullock's book, because the, the paper wouldn't print one, Addie wrote one herself for the newspaper and the newspaper went ahead and printed it because they thought it was hilarious it was barely intelligible (laughs) it was full of spelling mistakes and grammatical errors oh no yeah the sisters then accused the writer of making libelous claims he was arrested and the newspaper proposed an idea here's what we'll do they said we'll hold a theatrical trial at the local opera house and have the sisters perform for the jury. And so they did that. How is this a real story? It's a real story. And they did that. And the writer was eventually found guilty and sentenced to marrying one of the sisters. What? (laughs) What? He didn't actually serve his sentence. No? uh, No. Uh, No word as to whether they charged admission for this. so... So many layers of this that are wrong and beyond heinous. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So the word of this incident, this trial spread well, nationwide. Yeah. And the cherries began gaining attention all over the country because of this. And despite the negative press and the reactions that they faced, they continued performing in front of large hostile crowds. <laughs> <laughs> it's not clear it really isn't. Nobody knows for sure if they took themselves seriously or if they were in on the joke, kind mm-hmm. of like an Andy Kaufman kind of thing. Sure. But way before. Well, I mean, even if they weren't in on the joke, even if they thought they were skilled, but everyone else had had poor taste, uh-huh. um, 
you know, they're still making money. They were making money. So yes. there's a certain amount of like, oh, fuck it, you yeah, know? <laughs> right, right. Leo Landis, the state curator for the State Historical Society of Iowa, he said, they're developing this reputation of being comical and they will leave the stage or the theater manager will pull the curtain down, close the curtain on them. So that was part of the thing. They'd go out and just perform really, really badly and wouldn't leave the stage until the stage manager came out and just pulled the curtain down on them. All right. That leads me to believe that they knew what they were doing. It makes you think that, doesn't it? But then there's the argument, why would they sue if they, you know... Publicity. Maybe. The women soon approached a vaudeville agent in Chicago. They thought, hey, we got something going here. Cherry Sisters, they continued selling out shows all over the vaudeville circuit. It became the vaudeville act that people loved to hate. Now, they would go out and sing these songs, and they claimed that they had written these songs, but they just changed the words to popular songs that were already out there. Yeah, okay, I I dig that. So Bullock says in his biography, when when they tried to dance, they would, quote, kind of hop around. (laughs) He adds they performed short playlets, but they were very overwrought, very dark, very weepy, lots of gnashing of teeth and wailing, very, very over the top, completely ridiculous performances. Quote, very quickly, the Cherries got this reputation of being so diabolically awful that people would go to see them just to throw shit. And throw shit they did. Bullock says, people would throw rotten fruit and vegetables. They'd throw cigarette butts, cigar butts, overshoes. They'd take their overshoes off and throw them on the stage. Overshoes. Are those like spats? Like I think overshoes are like uh, galoshes. Oh, okay. You know, winter wear. How do you, I mean, do you get those back? I wouldn't that's, imagine. That's a great question. It's a terrible waste of overshoes. It got so bad that they sometimes performed behind a screen to avoid being hit by flying objects. Yes. They were one of the first acts that had to employ this. Smart. But yet there was some sympathy from the press. The Davenport Daily Times in Iowa expressed hopes that the Cherry Sisters, quote, will not be induced to make a second professional visit to this city. But they also wrote that their lack of talent is, quote, no excuse for the rowdyism that characterizes the audience at their engagements. I applaud that kind of journalism. And audience riots did happen. In Bullock's biography, during an early performance in Dubuque, Iowa, the audience came prepared. They brought rotten eggs, cabbages, and other produce. Some brought fire extinguishers and tin horns. At one point in the performance, Jesse, who was singing, and badly, uh, was sprayed in the face with a fire extinguisher and ran off the stage soaking wet. Effie then ran off the stage and returned with a shotgun that she cocked and pointed at the audience, only to be hit in the face with a cabbage. I would give everything I have to see that. Like, I mean, one, the theater should not allow people in with eggs. That's not a good policy. I mean, a lot of those things, sure, cabbage, that's fine. But eggs, you're going to have to clean that up. That's just stupid. Now, when this type of thing happened, the police and the theater staff did very little to uh, <laughs> to address it. Quote, if the audience were annoying them, one of the girls, again, this is from, from his book, one of the girls would think nothing of brandishing a rifle and kind of pointing it at the audience and threatening them. It became riotous 
and people would quite often try to break out of the audience. I'm sorry. Is is this a real story? Like, this yeah, actually happened? This really happened. <laughs> Word of the Cherry Sisters vaudeville act soon made its way to Oscar Hammerstein. Oh, wow. Who booked them at New York's Olympia Music Hall in 1896 in an effort to save the venue from bankruptcy. He said in a newspaper article, I've tried the best, now I'll try the worst. A headline from the New York Times describing their coming as, uh, quote, four freaks from Iowa, a spectacle more pitiable than amusing. Oh, wow. The New York performance sold out show after show after show for six weeks. Wow. It brought great financial success. It earned them about 500 bucks a week. Nice job, In the late 1800s. They performed an opening song. This is how the show went. Okay. They performed an opening song written to the tune of (laughs) Tararaboomdier, followed by a singing solo by Jesse a rendition of an Irish ballad by Lizzie and Addie, and a dramatic essay reading by Addie. They all then performed a skit titled The Gypsy's Warning. New Yorkers had never seen this before, and the New York Times reported, it is sincerely to be hoped that nothing like this will ever be seen again. (laughs) Sometimes the reviews got really over-the-top mean. According to a 1979 article published in an Iowa history magazine, the New York Tribune reported upon their New York debut, quote, Miss Jessie narrowly escaped being pretty, but her sisters never were in any such danger. Oh, no. So it's getting personal. Right. That's rude. I like the theory that if someone can't change the thing that you want to criticize within five seconds, then to just stay quiet about it. Like if... If someone had a problem with the fact that I have a gap between my teeth, mm-hmm. you you shut your hole. Uh-huh. It's got nothing to do with you, sure. and I can't fix it. I mean, I could fix it, but I'm not going to pay the money to fix that. That's dumb. Anyway, <laughs> um, but if it's something like, hey, you have spinach in your teeth, sure, it's a then yes, bring yeah. it up. Yeah. Absolutely. And the thing about there being you know, talentless, okay, that yeah, might be part of the act. That's fair game. For sure. For sure. I don't know why that came out in two parts. For sure. But the fact that you know, none of them are pretty, that's just shitty. Yeah. Yeah. And this is where we're going with this whole opinion review oh, thing. okay. Because we're going to talk about how you dismissed me. And yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Hammerstein, by the way, uh, getting the Cherry Sisters to perform at the Olympia Theater did pay off. Uh, he was able to save the theater from bankruptcy. That's wonderful. All the while, the sisters were bombarded with rotten vegetables while they were on stage. The Encyclopedia of Vaudeville references a 1910 description of the Cherry Sisters by Robert Grau uh, in his The Businessman in the Amusement World book. He notes, quote, There was, though, something approaching cruelty in the spectacle, which these poor females presented night after night in exhibiting these crudities to howling, insulting audiences. The name of their tour, by the way, was called Something Good, Something Sad. And it kind of that, that feels right. Yeah, that feels right. So when they returned to Iowa after this big New York success, by financial standards anyway, Billy Hamilton, editor of the uh, Ode Bolt Chronicle in Iowa, printed one of the most scathing reviews of the Cherry Sisters Act in nineteen in eighteen ninety eight. Quote: Effie 
is an old jade of 50 summers. Jesse, a frisky filly of 40, and Addie, the flower of the family, a capering monstrosity of 35. Their long, skinny arms, equipped with talons at the extremities, swung mechanically and soon waved frantically at the suffering audience. Their mouths opened like caverns, and sounds like the wailing of damned souls issued therefrom. They pranced around the stage with a motion that suggested a cross between Danse du Ventre and a foxtrot. Strange creatures with painted faces and hideous demeanor, Addie is knock-kneed, and Jessie, the only one who showed her stocking, has legs with calves as classic as those of a broomstick. So part of that... Part of that review was picked up and reprinted by the Des Moines leader. So the sisters sued both newspapers for a libel nice. for 15 grand in damages for false and malicious information. Bullock says the women saw it as a step too far. The kind of things that were being said about them in papers were very, very cruel. The Iowa State Supreme Court eventually ruled against the sisters. The <gasps> verdict read, quote, if ever there was a case for justifying ridicule and sarcasm, it is the one now before us. According to the record, the performance given by the plaintiffs was not only childish, but ridiculous in the extreme. A dramatic critic should be allowed suitable license in such a case. The public should be informed of the character of the entertainment, and the publication should be held privileged. The Iowa court also wrote in its opinion that a newspaper editor has, quote, the right to freely criticize any and every kind of public performance, so long as the review is not driven by what is called malice mm -hmm. or an intentional effort to injure another party. Just because a comment is grossly exaggerated, the judge said, doesn't mean it's unfair. So the concept of fair comment that arose from Cherry versus Des Moines leader set an important precedent. And the landmark case was cited in legal cases and continues to be decades later. Jesse died of typhoid. In 1903, the sisters then retired. Occasionally, they would try to make a comeback performance here and there. Variety magazine commented on a 1924 performance. As terribleness, their skit is perfection. <laughs> See, that's a nice bad review. Yeah. And, and totally fair. I do think that that uh, Ox Bolt one was unfair and... Um, unnecessarily scathing like regardless. it got personal it did it had nothing to do well that's i mean right. it did have to do with their lack of talent but when you start but also like the shape of their legs yeah that's ridiculous and i feel like maybe it it vibes to me like a journalist who's maybe a little bitter about someone finding success with no talent yeah. maybe it's someone who has worked their whole life and hasn't been recognized or doesn't feel like they've been appropriately recognized and therefore they think that someone who doesn't have talent getting recognized is unfair and they feel bad about it and so they're going to use everything they can to make sure you don't get yeah. that's what it feels like to me yeah, there's a lot of that that's that what it feels on. like to me yeah so bullock said that the cherries in some ways were ahead of their time if, if you think of like today the x factor or america's got talent we love watching people get out there and mm -hmm. just do really bad shit yeah. and, it, and it goes viral it was the same in the 70s and the 80s with uh, like the gong show yeah for example bullock said they were five women who were doing their own thing and playing to their own rules they did what they wanted to do they weren't going to let men tell them they couldn't do it nice 
I don't think that the Cherry sisters would have gone to the trouble of trying to sue different people if they weren't taking themselves seriously. On the other hand, Bullock says, I believe they absolutely knew that they were a thing. They were figures of fun, and they exploited that, pointing to the constant negative reviews in the press and the fact that their managers seemed to be completely in the know. As a Des Moines Register reporter once wrote, quote, Either the Cherry sisters are completely sincere and take themselves seriously, Mm -hmm. or they are the most accomplished actresses the world has ever known. I love that. I think they were punkin' people. I think so, too. And I think... Maybe it didn't start that way. Right. Maybe they, you know, the first time they went out on stage and they thought they were... And then then they thought, well, shit, we're making bank. Let's keep doing this. (laughs) Yeah. I think it also raises a really important point of news versus opinion right and how sometimes people get confused about opinion pieces versus news pieces yeah and the news does broadcast opinion pieces relatively often and there are lots of entertainment slash opinion personalities out there that for some reason they're not people think are news yeah they're not and journalists. it's not yeah it kind of reminds me again of of Andy Kaufman. Mm. Kaufman, that's what he would do, like the Tony Clifton character. Right. The house sound guy would make several announcements before Kaufman would come out as Tony Clifton saying, please, no smoking, no smoking. We can't have smoking. Mr. Clifton wants no smoking to protect his voice. And please put out, you know, this went all like four or five times before he would come out and then he'd come out and the first thing he'd do is light up a cigarette. Mm-hmm. You know, he just did shit to provoke people. Yeah. And he enjoyed that. One of his acts early on, he went out on stage, didn't say a word, sat down at a table, ate a bowl of potatoes and then took a nap just to see what people would do. Yeah. And so I'm wondering if maybe they were pioneering that. You know, I think you're exactly right where they started thinking, okay, well, we can do a show And then they saw how they were received, but people kept coming. Mm -hmm. And all right, let's go with it. Let's see how bad we can get and still have people come and give us money. Right. That's how I want to believe it it occurred. They guns at people. (laughs) I think. (laughs) Those were different times. (laughs) (laughs) That is a treasure. That's the best story I've ever heard. (laughs) And now. That thing in the middle. Here are some highly specialized online stores that really kind of give us all hope that one day we could have an online specialized store. Number five, prank a lot. You want to pull a prank on a friend or a colleague, everything you need is at the prank place. Giant vomit, toilet seat that lets out screams, (laughs) fake pregnancy tests. Mm -hmm. I think that's beyond but you know yeah. that's rude and because people really struggle with that kind of stuff but anyway uh you can get it all at prank a lot number four the bob barker company no not beloved former game show host bob barker it's a different bob barker it's a company that sells products and equipment intended for prisons that's right you can buy prison uniforms and shoes modified products for personal hygiene like razors that can't hurt anyone pest repellents guard equipment and all the stuff that makes a jail a jail. Number three, mortuary mall. Of course, funerals <laughs> and such are pretty big business, so you've got to have a place to buy your stuff. Actually, I kind of want to go there. Check that out. I can check it out, yeah. Number two, Hammaker Schlemmer. On this site, you can buy an actual replica of the 1966 Batmobile <laughs> for, for a mere 200 grand. 
But if that's too much, you can also find some cheaper luxury items like gloves with an installed heating system. I love this. That's a great idea. It sounds like weird high-end gift ideas, and I'm into it. And number one, bizarre food. Of course, all over the world, we, we eat different things, and maybe you want to try some things, or maybe you want to send some termites or scorpions to your friends. Mm. This shop is exactly what you're looking for. Cobra whiskey, though, out of stock right now. Cat and Jethro live in Maine. I'm in California. Sure, we'd love to come to your place for Thanksgiving, but you'd probably ask for help with the dishes. F*** that noise. This is The Box of Oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life... Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? <sighs> Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. 
Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Support for The Box of Oddities is provided in part by listeners like you on Patreon. You can support us too. Go to patreon.com slash box of oddities. Thank you. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. Son of Sam, I am sent us a message. <laughs> By the way, that's great. <laughs> I love that. Well, one of your suggestions for a name for this new pup was Bartholomew Cubbinsworth. Bar- no, Bartholomew Cubbins. Okay. Yeah. Which is a Dr. Seuss, Dr. Seuss yeah. character yeah. Uh, that I had to look up. My mom. They wrote, who is turning 73 in a few days, loves you guys. She told me a story once that you might like to hear. Her sister once dated a mortician, and he'd tell them all sorts of weird stuff that he'd find. (laughs) One corpse had $200 rolled up and shoved in its butt, which he kept since it was the early 70s, and that was good money. Butt money. I wonder why that person had money in their butt, and did it in some way contribute? To their demise? I doubt it. No, I, I mean, wouldn't. you can stash stuff up there. Can you? I oh, think I su- that's... I suppose. Yeah. What was the motivation? Just to hide the money, maybe? Or was mm. it some... I don't know. That's weird. It's a tough question. Mm. Is that just where that money went? Like, that's just how they traveled with money? Maybe. Uh, it, I, it makes me glad that I pretty much use a credit card all the time now, though. That's going to be harder to get in there. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. I have a I have a place for the credit card. That's not my anus. Okay. <laughs> what you got for me? What what you what what you what you got for me? What 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 you got for me? Okay. Bring it in strong, girl. And now. Okay. Oops, I hit the That's, button. Yep. You, okay. So, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Sorry about that. Uh, Rhett, are you? Yes. My fingers are fat. George Shaw wrote in 1799 when scientists sent a specimen from Australia, this must be a hoax, the platypus, an egg-laying mammal. Yeah, it's like the jackalope. He wrote, it naturally excites the idea of some deceptive preparation by artificial means. Mm Mm-hmm. He went on to write, of all the mammalia yet known, it seems the most extraordinary in its confirmation, exhibiting the perfect resemblance of a beak of a duck engrafted on the head of a quadruped. Yeah, I can see why people would have thought (laughs) that ain't real, Mm. especially after like the Fiji mermaid and and of course the jackalope. 
Well, we learned on the Kilimanjaro Safari last time that the Okapi, they thought for a long time, was a hoax because of his stripy butt. They thought giraffes were. Yeah. Initially. Interestingly enough, the Okapi most closely animal related to the giraffe. And that's animal time with cat. Mm -hmm. Now... The platypus, of course, was well known to the Aboriginal peoples. They are endemic to eastern mainland Australia, Tasmania, and adjacent King Island with a small population that was introduced to Kangaroo Island, South Australia. Platypuses have many Aboriginal names, including Malinagong, Tambrit, Gayadari, Bunabura, and Lair Rilar. But the first uh, Westerners had their suspicions that Mm. it was only the most minute and rigid examination with which we can persuade ourselves that this is a real beak and snout of a quadruped. So were there reports of this creature that filtered back to Mm -hmm. Western society and nobody really, they didn't have a specimen to examine. So they're just these stories Mm -hmm. and everybody thought it was a bunch of bullshit, but it ended up to be true. Yeah. Just like Bigfoot. There's also a lot of racism involved because of course, Westerners are getting details via other outlets and they're like, well, they can't be trusted. And even more confusion uh, abounds when they discover that the animal had a cloaca, uh, which is like what the birds have. It's it's where your chicken's eggs and poop comes out of. It's an egg poop holder. That's right. It's found in some reptiles as well. But I I mainly think of it as being a chicken thing. And I think that's probably because I'm most familiar with chickens. But anyway... This is understandably confusing. The platypus is the sole living representative of its family. And it took nearly a century for scientists to figure out for certain whether platypus laid eggs. It wasn't until the 1830s that Westerners became aware that platypuses nurse their young, even though they lack nipples. Again, I mean, we call it discovering information sometimes when it just means introducing it to a larger audience. That's fair. So please keep that in mind. I would have named it a duck beaver. It looks like a duck beaver to me. That sounds like a euphemism to me. Nice duck beaver. If you know what I mean. So, yeah, platypuses nurse their young, even though they don't have nipples. Now, how's this work? The babies actually lick the milk from specialized skin on the mom. They just kind of secrete it through the skin. What? And, yeah, that's how it works. Wow. Right? And in 1885, a Scottish zoologist, William Caldwell, collected and described what were without any doubt, platypus eggs. Um, It was a crowning achievement. It was very important in this process of Mm. learning about the platypus, and I'm sure for him, a a great moment. Uh, But it did involve slaughtering thousands of platypus in order to do so. So it kind of sucked also. It was around this time also that it was discovered that male platypuses have a venomous spur in their hind legs. What? Now... What? I never, I've never heard this. Both platypus, the the female and the male, have the spur, but only the males have the venom. This is one weird creature. They're amazing. So, 
It's thought that because only the males have it, it's used to determine dominance and such in trying to Mm -hmm. get a lady platypus. Mm -hmm. Platypus venom is strong enough to kill dogs and other small animals. It's not lethal to humans, but it can be excruciating enough to seriously impair a person. The pain reportedly can last for months on end and give a person a heightened sensitivity to other pain. Generally, platypus venom causes nausea, cold sweats, chronic pain, and it can't be treated with painkillers. That's a badass duck beaver. Right. Jesus. Because they, they always look like kind of cute, cuddly little they things. They are adorable. Yeah. No. But you can be cute and cuddly and also know how to protect yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was even later that a genome analysis helped understand how the platypus came to be. Researchers determined that venomous reptiles and the venomous male platypus developed the characteristic independently of each other, but from the same set of genes. Wow. Yeah. I don't entirely understand what that means, but I know it's neat. So as we said, being an egg-laying mammal is pretty unique. Uh, The platypus is one of only two mammals. The echidna is the other that lay eggs. Females will seal themselves inside a burrow to lay the eggs. The mom will pump out one or two eggs and then will kind of scoop them up. With their bill? With their tail. Oh. And hold them via their tail up against their body. Mm to keep them warm. The eggs hatch in about 10 days, which is pretty amazing. But those platypus infants are only about the size of lima beans. Aww. Yeah. And so that's why they have to drink the milk and stay with mom. And it can take a couple of months before they can swim on their own. It's a process, both coming from an egg and having to be, you know, reared. Suckled. Indeed. So you know how cat's claws retract when they don't need them? Right. The platypus kind of has a similar vibe. So they have webbed feet, obviously, for their their water times. What happens is when they are going to walk on the ground, the webbing on their feet retracts to expose individual nails and allow the creature to run. Platypuses use their nails and feet to construct the burrows at the water's edge, but they only use the webbing when they're in the water. Retractable webbing. Right? They're so cool. Now, on average, a platypus will sleep about 14 hours a day. So very similar to this little new nugget that we have here. Haggis. Haggis. Platypuses also have the longest known rapid eye movement sleep among all animals, spending about five and a half to eight hours a day in REM sleep. And they curl up when they sleep and they kind of wrap their little tail around themselves and there's a little ball. and so cute. Oh, Jesus. The platypus needs to eat about 20% of its own weight every day. And because of that, it spends about 12 hours a day looking for food. So between looking for food and sleeping, that's a day. That's it. That's it. I do not know how they breed because <laughs> how do you have, like, I'm, I'm kind of busy right now. Mm. I'm in the midst of some REM sleep. Could you back off? So platypuses hunt underwater. They are bottom feeders. They scoop up insects and larvae and shellfish. They are carnivores. They eat worms and such, along with gravel and mud from the bottom. And then they have these cheek pouches that they store all that stuff in. They come up to the land because they can't breathe underwater. They're mammals. So they have to come back up. They get on land with their cheek pouches full of this garbage. And then they kind of 
roll it and mash it around until they can eat it. Platypuses don't have teeth. So they use the rocks and stuff that they pick up with the oh. worms and such to kind of make this interior blender situation. They use the rocks as teeth. Birds do that too, Birds right? Birds do that too. Yeah. Some, not all. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. It really is. Even more amazing, platypuses don't have stomachs. You know, there's not much more of, uh, <laughs> of this that I can handle. You're blowing my mind. So weird, right? My, my head is still swimming from the poisonous spur. This is according to facts.net. Platypuses, echidnas, and many species of fish lost their stomachs through their evolutionary history. So at some point, other stomachless species and the platypus moved past their need for stomachs, but we don't know why. Some experts say that maybe they just had diets that they didn't need the help of stomach enzymes to break down the stuff. So I guess they just do a good enough job with their mud and their rocks and their worms. So they, they just, they eat something, they swallow it, and, and it just immediately comes right out the other end. Well, no, no, it's filtered and they get their nutrients from it through their tracts. But it's a more direct route. Yes. Mm. So yeah, they don't have stomachs, but they do have the ability to create a fat reserve. So like beavers and Tasmanian devils, the platypus will use his tail as a fat reserve. They store fat in their tails for emergency situations in the time of starvations or famine. And then they, they use their fat tails. So all the young girl platypuses are out there looking for a sugar daddy with a fat mm, tail. Sure they are. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they can't benefit logically from his fat tail but you know what i'm getting at mm -hmm. i've been watching a lot of sugar daddy tiktoks lately <laughs> it's a learning thing for me mm -hmm. so it's been recently discovered also that when you turn on black lights platypuses will glow no they don't you're now you're just they, they they're glowy you've you've crossed over into absurdity fat tailed venomous egg laying mammals that leak milk that leak milk through their skin. When you shine an ultraviolet light on the platypus, it makes their fur fluoresce with a greenish blue tint. <laughs> they are one of the few mammals known to exhibit this trait, and it is not known why they do it. It may just be that that's the way it is, mm -hmm. you know, which I think is kind of a lazy science. Well, it's yep. just... Uh... It is what it is, <laughs> as the youngsters say. One theory is that by absorbing and transforming UV light rather than reflecting it, platypuses might be able to hide better from UV-sensitive predators. Hmm. But that's just a hypothesis, according to the New York Times. <clears throat> now, here's something that you might not know about the platypus. They are widely distributed, and as I said, they're not super easily spotted. And because of this, it limits accurate evaluation of their conservation status. And it's been recently discovered that their populations are dwindling pretty rapidly. This is according to the Oxford Academic Journal of Mammalogy. In South Australia, the, spe the species is nearly extinct and is endangered, according to the National Parks and Wildlife Act of 1972 
two, the current drivers of declining platypus distribution and population are many, including predominantly regulation of river flows and degradation of habitat. So like so many other animals, as we try to improve our way of life or expand where we live or whatever the hell we're doing, uh, we are, in fact, endangering the lives of these incredible and very unique animals. Just so you know, you can adopt a platypus through WWF and get a really cute little platypus plushie uh, that I would support you doing. Of course, there are a lot of... WWF? The Wrestling Federation? Um, no. So that the Wrestling Federation is WWE. Now, yeah, yeah, they changed that. Was it because of the uprising within the platypus community? Yes. Okay. They showed off their venom spurs mm, and... That'll do it. Triple H and Kane backed right off. <laughs> Um, but, of course, there are uh, local charities as well that you can... All right, Banjo's had enough of this. But no. there are local charities as well that you can contribute to. Um, so if you want to do some more research on how you can help the platypus, I highly suggest doing that. That's a messed up shit. Isn't he magical? Yeah, that's There's incredible. so many things that I kept going like, oh, and then there's this. Oh, and then there's this. I didn't... I mean, I knew about the venom. <laughs> I knew about the glow-in-the-dark thing. I did not know that they didn't have stomachs or teeth. That's crazy. I know. And I had to look up how to pronounce echidna. <laughs> so we all learned something today. Mm-hmm. Oh, did want to mention that uh, Thursday's episode, this week, we are not dropping an episode on Thursday. It is Thanksgiving. Here in the U.S., it is uh, Thanksgiving, so we're taking that day off. However, if you're jonesing for some more Box of Oddities... Now might be a good time to um, support us on Patreon because there's a bunch of bonus episodes that you can check out. Just go to patreon.com slash box of oddities. And we appreciate it so much. It really does help us and it helps us grow the show and it helps us explore options for the show, potential shows. Right. As in live. Oh, you're talking about, okay, you're you're hinting about, yeah. We are, we are in the process of, of um, creating a second podcast. We'll tell you more about that later. And with that, I'll say see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. And fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that. 
because you're already listening to a podcast. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts.